We have two readings this morning. Our first reading is from Psalm 37, verses 1 to 11. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your causes like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil, for evil men will be cut off, and those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The second reading is from the letter of James, chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. Listening and doing. My dear brothers, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. For God's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Good morning, everyone. And I thought the reason I'd been chosen to speak this morning was that it was a rugby-free weekend, and so I wouldn't have to take any abuse at Ireland's results. But there we are, it's planning. This series we're looking at is called Listening to Jesus. And I just wondered as we started, how good are your listening skills? This is a time for honesty. How many especially if us men, husbands, are watching football or rugby on the television. We're aware our wives are talking to us. We think we're getting away with it. There's the, we're making a grunts at what we think are appropriate times. And suddenly the dreaded question comes through to our subconscious. What have I just said to you? We haven't a clue. Maybe it's just me. Recently, the BBC had a, on their website had an article on how British irony or sarcasm is often lost on others, because sometimes when we hear something, we don't quite pick up what is being communicated, what is being said. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I thought it'd be worth having a look at. What is said, what others understand, and what the British mean. The first one is, with the greatest respect, 
he is listening to me, I think he's an idiot. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. They're impressed. That's absolute nonsense. I'll bear it in mind. He'll probably do it. I've forgotten about it already. That's not bad. British understatement. Others think that's poor. British acting media, that's, that's quite good. You must come for dinner. I'll get an invitation soon. It's not an invitation, I'm just being polite. I hear what you say. He accepts my point of view. I disagree and don't want to discuss it any further. And we Irish would never be as rude as that, would we? As I said, it is a bit tongue-in-cheek. The Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at is under the overall title of listening to Jesus. And in this context, listening means paying full attention, understanding, and obeying the command or instruction. Yet, writing in 1978, John Stott said, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known of the teaching of Jesus, though arguably it's the least understood and certainly it's the least obeyed. I would love right now if we time and the service is permitted to break into small groups to discuss that. Forty years on, has anything changed? Do you agree with it? In what ways do we not understand the Sermon on the Mount? In what ways do we not obey it? All excellent topics for discussion. Whether you agree with it or not, if there is any element of accuracy in John Stott's assertion, it means that this is one of the most important series that we have looked at in SBC for many years. For the Sermon on the Mount depicts the character and conduct which Jesus expected of each of his disciples. It contains the most complete outline anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian counterculture, which the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom instigated. The Christian value system, ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude to money, ambition, lifestyle, and network of relationships are all set out for us to follow. Listening involves more than just passive hearing. It demands a response of understanding, application, and obedience. How well are we listening? This morning we're looking, as Paul has said, at the third uh, beatitude, this blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But before we get into that, let's have some introductory comments. These beatitudes are attributes for Christians. The first beatitude was, blessed are the poor in spirit. The second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because you see, it's the person who recognizes their own spiritual poverty, who mourns over that state, that brings the response, asking God for forgiveness. The coming of the kingdom of heaven to the sinner who repents brings comfort. Non-Christians don't display or don't follow those lines. Secondly, the Beatitudes come as a complete package. It's not 
Some will be merciful, others will be uh, persecuted, others will be meek, others poor in spirit. No, they apply all of them to each of us. There are instructions for Jesus, from Jesus for all believers to aspire to and strive for in their lives. Thirdly, they're totally at variance with those of the non-Christian world where you have to assert yourself to get on. Frank Zappa, for those of us of a certain era, a 70s rock star, Peter's already quoted from um, Mick Jagger, so we're, we're getting quotes this morning. He has an actual song, The Meek Will Inherit Nothing. John Paul Getty, the oil tycoon, said, the meek shall inherit the earth, but not the mineral rights. Taking this aspect of the meek inheriting the earth or being blessed into the spiritual realm is opposite of what our present culture shows. There's very little acknowledgement of personal sin Therefore, no need to recognize poverty of spirit or a need to mourn over its absence of a right relationship with God. So these beatitudes are not natural. They're not personality traits. They're not related to temperament necessarily. They're supernatural. John Stott again called them Christian counterculture. Then there's some confusion at times over the meaning of the word blessed. It's a word that's greatly overused at times, especially in Christian circles. There's even a book written called The Be Happy Attitudes. And that's very often what people think of the word blessed, happy. But how can you be happy if you're being persecuted? How can you be happy when you're mourning? Thinking that being blessed means my happiness turns the focus inwardly onto me. But when the Bible speaks of being blessed, it's inferring the favor of God. God's favor resting on someone or something. And the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is not to make me feel better or to be happy necessarily, but to so affect and change my character and my conduct that glory is brought to the Father in heaven. In verse 16 of Matthew 5, Jesus said, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the Beatitudes are not self-focused, but God-focused. Jesus preached this sermon to give me standards, guidelines to follow, so that God would be glorified in and through my life. His aim was to create a lifestyle in his disciples that would make people think about God. And so we can rewrite the, this beatitude, or all of them, in fact, blessed are, or God's favor rests upon the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, the word meek is in the Greek uh, a word praos, excuse the Irish pronunciation of Greek. It can be translated as gentle, humble, or mild. And one dictionary defines meekness as overly submissive 
compliant, spiritless, tame. This sees the meek person as a pushover, a doormat, spineless, a wuz, never standing up for what they believe, a passive acceptance of whatever happens to them. And that, if that's our thinking of the word meek, it completely misses the richness of this Greek word and what the biblical concept actually is. Because the word was used by the Greeks to, de to describe a war horse that was trained to obey instantly and absolutely, no matter how great the confusion and danger of the battle around them was, was taking place. And in this context, the word actually means strength or power under control. When an army can take a, a, a horse, that magnificent animal, and train it to obey instantly, completely, with just the pull of the rein or the touch of a knee, that is strength and power under control. And that's what's meant by the word, and it will help us understand what is being meant here through the concept of being meek. But how do we apply that to ourselves individually and as a congregation? The most important, the best tool for interpreting Scripture is other Scripture, because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And you look at one verse, and another verse helps bring some clarity to it at times. That's why Krista read from both Psalm 37 and James, because Psalm 37 verse 11 said, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. In the Greek Old Testament, the word for land and uh, the word for land and the word for earth is both the same word. Verse 9 said, those who hope in the Lord shall inherit the land. So we can conclude from this that the meek are people who hope in the Lord. But what does it mean to hope in the Lord? If we go a little bit further back in that psalm, verses 5 to 8, some ideas are given to us there. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn away from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. A portrait is given to us here of the meek. Firstly, in verse 5, we see meek people trust in God. They believe He will work for them, vindicate them when others oppose them. If you notice the songs Mike had chosen, God is sovereign over us. Even though the enemy may mean to harm us, He turns it for our good. Biblical meekness, strength under control, is rooted in the deep confidence that God is for us. It doesn't really matter who sets themselves up against us. God is sovereign over all. Trusting in God then leads to committing our way to God. The Hebrew word for commit means to roll. And meek people have discovered that God is trustworthy. And so they roll their frustrations, their finances, their relationships, 
their health, their fears onto God. They admit there are times where they cannot cope with the complexities, the pressures, the obstacles of life. But they trust is God, that God is willing and able to sustain, protect, and guide them at all times. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Then, verse 7, they wait before God. They're still before God, and they wait patiently for Him. They have a kind of a steady calm that comes from knowing God is omnipotent, that He has their affairs under His control. He's gracious and will work things out for their best. Meek people have a quiet steadiness about their lives in the midst of troubles, trials, opposition. They don't rush ahead, making knee-jerk decisions, decisions before giving God time to guide them. And then, also in verse 7, they don't fret over the wicked or give way to anger. Every aspect of their lives is in God's sovereign hands. They trust Him. They wait patiently and quietly to see how His power and goodness will work things out. And so the setbacks and obstacles that would normally produce bitterness and anger are absent from the person that is meek. So Psalms 37 shows that meekness is directly related or linked to our relationship to God. As you and I take a hard look at our lives this morning, our attitudes, our values, are there ways that we can see clearly these characteristics? evident with us? Or do we worry too much? Are we anxious, fearful, rash in our decision-making, quick-tempered? Another example of meekness is given in Numbers, Numbers chapter 12. If you read the story, Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, start to criticize him over his wife. She was a foreigner early example of racism. Moses doesn't answer back. Then God enters into this, this situation and rebukes Aaron and Miriam and commends Moses by saying he was a very humble, same word for meek man, more humble than anyone else on all the earth. Because you see, the meek person is not defensive, nor seeking revenge. Moses didn't stand up for himself in this situation. He allowed God to vindicate him. And meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. Again, Krista read from James chapter 1, and there's just another aspect of meekness shown to us there. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and, all, and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly, again the word, with meekness, accept the word of God or the word planted in you which can save you. Some translations 
Tran uh, translate that last sentence as receiving the word with meekness. Because James here is drawing out a contrast between two different kinds of people. On one hand, there's a person who doesn't like to listen what others say, doesn't like to pay any attention to their opinion. They're quick to speak, quickly become angry, defensive, especially if their opinion is challenged or their behavior is called into question. The person has a short fuse. Also, they're not receptive to God's Word. They filter it through their own desires. They're selective in what they take to heart and what they apply to their lives. They pick what they like and ignore or disregard what they don't. On the other hand, James pictures another kind of person, the person who is quick to listen and slow to speak. The person recognizes the limitation of their knowledge, the fallibility of their thinking, and so are eager to listen and learn valuable lessons from others. They hear something new or contrary to what they believe. Their first reaction isn't to anger or to write it off as wrong, but to listen and consider. And when they apply that to the Word of God, they receive it humbly or with meekness. They're teachable, open to change. A meek person doesn't think they know it all and that there's no room for further spiritual growth in their lives. Calvary Lettinen uh, was a leading theologian in the Finnish Lutheran Church. He's well known throughout the, throughout the country. In fact, when Billy Graham held a crusade in Helsinki, Calvary was chosen to do the translation. I heard Calvary speak many times. But one comment he used way back, I was thinking about it, was 1985, challenged me deeply and has stuck with me ever since. Calvary, this leading figure in the Finnish Lutheran Church, said, even though I've been a Christian for many years, a theologian, someone uh, who has been a Christian for only a few days has something to teach me. Meekness personified. So if we step back and just quickly look again at this portrait of meekness that is shown on the screen. It begins when we put our trust in God. Then, because we trust Him, we commit our way to Him. We roll onto Him our anxieties, frustrations, plans, and so on. We wait patiently for the Lord. We trust His timing, His power, His grace to work things out for the best, for His glory, and for our good. There's no guarantee that that won't involve hardship, hurt, disappointment along the way. The result of trusting God and the rolling of our anxieties onto Him, waiting patiently for Him, is that we don't give way to quick, fretful anger, but instead, like Moses, we give no place to wrath and hand our cause to God, to let Him vindicate us as He chooses. And then, as James says, in quiet confidence, we are quick to listen and slow to speak. We are reasonable, open to correction. correction. Meekness loves to learn. It receives the word with gladness. There's just one other aspect of meekness that, in a sense, is a little bit of an other angle to look at it. Remember, it's strength or power under control. But meek doesn't mean that we should t tolerate anything and everything, especially 
if behavior or views contradict biblical truth. Meekness is also very concerned with the integrity of the Bible. In Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Paul writes, Brothers or sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, which is the same word again, with meekness, but watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Not only is meekness slow to speak and slow to anger, but when it decides that it must speak, not based on personal slight or someone basically just annoying me, but defending biblical integrity, it speaks with a deep awareness that it is fallible. More specifically, it looks at itself first, or the person looks at their self first, takes the log out of their own eye before trying to correct anyone else. Paul wrote, let him who thinks he stands beware in case he fall. So we've noticed that a good definition of meekness is strength under control, but there are different kinds of strength. There's physical strength, and someone who uses physical strength to get their own way, basically a bully, is obviously wrong. But there's also verbal strength, where someone is very quick with their words, quick in their thinking, and they use that strength to browbeat a more quiet, reflective person into submission to get their own way. It might even happen in a marriage relationship. Terminology there is domestic abuse, controlling and coercive behavior, the opposite of meekness. Maybe you have been given authority in some area, and again, we need to be careful, cautious, that in those areas we don't use that authority or that power in a way that is not meek, displaying meekness. Might be in the workplace or in another organization. We have the authority to insist on things, how things should be done, and at times that is totally appropriate. But is our normal response of strength under control shown by listening to the views of others, being slow to speak or get angry, quick to listen, aware that we might be wrong, that the ideas of others might be better. See, meekness is the right or the power to do something, but refraining for the benefit of someone else. It's displayed by someone when they forego their natural authority and power for the benefit of others. According to Jesus, the meek person will inherit the earth. We've seen from the quotations earlier that that's totally counter to how many people think today. Conventional wisdom is that meek people will be trampled underfoot and get nowhere. So in what ways can we say that a meek person inherits the earth? The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, gives a, t a list of terrible things that were happening to him, but ends the section by saying that even though he had nothing, he possessed everything. What does this mean? Well, materially, Paul had nothing, or very little, but he was referring to the blessing of salvation and fellowship with Christ and the absolute security of knowing that God was in total control of all the circumstances that were affecting his life. 
To him, that was more important than anything else. And in that sense, he had inherited the earth. The meek, though they may be deprived and disenfranchised by men on this earth, know what it is to live in the security that they're in relationship with God, who is sovereign over all. Then very often when there's an inheritance, there's a future element to it as well. And there is here also. Because in Romans, Paul said, now if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs of Christ. In 2 Timothy, he said that we would reign with Christ. And when we become Christians, we become joint heirs with Christ. And our future destiny is to reign with him. We sang about that earlier as well. Christ is going to return. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. A new heaven and earth will be created, and we will reign with him in that earth. Our destiny, our inheritance, eventually is as rulers with Christ. We're destined for the throne, as one book title has put it. What a prospect for meek people. At the beginning of this series on listening to Jesus, Paul, that is Paul Campion, not the Apostle Paul, told us that listening to Jesus involved these five steps. Creating space, allowing the Bible to speak, asking God to speak regarding our character, asking God to direct our ways, and keeping a record of how God is speaking to us. This morning we've seen how God's favor rests on those who are meek. How are we going to respond? Will we give God the chance, the space to speak into our lives? What adjustments might we have to make in our schedules, in our routines for that to happen? We've seen a portrait of meekness. Will we ask God to show to us, to reveal to us what aspect of meekness is absent from my life? What do I use to form my views where I think that I'm always right or right most of the time? At the outset, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount dealing with both conduct and character. They're intricately interlinked, can't be separated because they reflect the internal, that is character, and external aspects of our lives, that is the conduct. However, right conduct can only result from right internal character. The Sermon on the Mount calls for holiness of character, and meekness is one important element of that. I read a quote just this week from an Argentinian pastor, Carmela Terranova, that I find very challenging. With this, I close. He wrote, Holiness, as well as the total Christian life, should be a reproduction of Jesus' inward life, not his external or exterior life, of the pure and transparent character of Jesus Christ. The holy person doesn't imitate Jesus. He just looks like Jesus. The world is continually searching for people who look like Jesus. We've had a sufficient number of gifted and eloquent speakers, 
We desperately need saints with the fragrance of Jesus Christ and the aroma of heaven. It's my prayer that Shirley Baptist will be filled with saints characterized by the fragrance of Jesus Christ and the aroma of heaven. If it is, Shirley and Solihull won't know what's hit it. Amen. As Mike and the band are coming up, let's just pray and prepare ourselves for coming to communion. Father, we do come into your presence, and we're so grateful for the salvation that you have given us through Jesus. We thank you for his death, for his resurrection, for the new life he has given to those of us who believe. Lord, may we, as we partake this morning, just be reminded afresh of that so great salvation that you have lavished upon us. For your name's sake. Amen.